How about these battling bucks? Bounce left side, picked by Hayes, throw to second one, to first, picked by Santana. What a double play. Gonna try and score, no, he's held up, and now they've got a double play chance. Rodriguez will throw to second, here comes the throw back to the plate, and they do it! Yes. What a job! What a job! Bounce left side, picked by Hayes, throw to second one, to first, picked by Santana. What a double play. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the 412 Double Play Podcast. I am, as always, host Michael Castrogano. Spring training games kicked off this week. I'll be recapping this past week at the end of the show, but we're kicking into gear with our farm system preview, starting with the Bradenton Marauders. And for this week's episode, we're bringing back our friend who was play-by-play commentator for the Marauders last season, Ben Picorni. Ben, welcome back to the show. How have you been? Thanks. Good. Good to be here. Um, you know, there's there's so many great guys that played for the Marauders last year and um, so many great guys I got to see in the complex. So I'm always happy to come on here and, you know, spread the good news about what's what's up and coming from uh, from the lower levels. Just because you've got Bradenton, you've got Pirate City, the complex, like everything all year round is pretty much happening right there in that part of, of the country. Uh, we're recording this on Friday. So disclaimer, like last week um anything that happens after this point we're not going to talk about and this is this part we're specifically going to be focusing on the marauders anyway but some news that did drop this morning the marauders dropped some script merch i'm not a big look uh, uh big on the look overall it's it's very much resembling some recent pirate stuff but i i kind of love the bradenton b and some of the original stuff they do yeah uh i've been wanting to get that gold b like embroidered on a hat i had to settle for like a cheap amazon version so it's like screen printed <laughs> on it's like something you get from fanatics i do have my spring training hat which came in the mail which i, I do like but uh for the pirates uh, if you guys are watching on youtube you could see that but uh i i what are your preferences because the marauders have a couple of the logos now they've got the script they've got that gold b yeah. they've got the uh the wrong marty what's your favorite between those if you have one um, so my, my favorite that we actually wore, um, would probably be just the Marty hat. I, I just thought it was like a very classic minor league look that, you know, you have kind of the cartoony logo on the front. I, I thought it was a really good fit. Um, a lot of guys preferred though, I'd say we, every starting pitcher got to pick their hat, uh, the team hat that they were going to wear that day. Um, my favorite was probably. Uh, most of the guys' favorite, rather, was the the script B that you're talking about, the golden script B. Um, those were batting practice hats um, originally, but guys just like absolutely loved them. Um, and then there was the the skull and cross bats hat that uh, was a Thomas Harrington favorite yeah. uh, last year. Um, my favorite hat that we never wore that we have uh, that we had, sorry, they had now, uh, but was the Marty the Marauder hat, but it was a yellow top to the hat with a black bill. 
I always thought that was that was so so cool. I, I liked anything that was kind of just yellow, kind of like the Pirate City connects, how they just pop with the yellow. And I thought the the yellow Marty the Marauder hats were really really cool, but they were they were retired I think two years ago. But that that was a that was one I wish could have seen the field for sure. Yeah, and I agree on that because I feel like it's fun when they have their own individual twist on it and not trying to copy what like basically what the pirates are doing um with like the b it's very sharp with the marty it's very cartoonish and i feel like appeals to kids and so you've got that wide range there yeah the marauders themselves they i mean they're year in and year out really strong team they they finished 2023 with a 76 and 54 record two and a half games out of making playoffs just fell behind i think lakeland lakeland flying tigers yeah but a like I said, another strong season. They just missed the playoffs the year before that. Twenty twenty one, they won it. I think was that the year that they won it. Yep. Yep. No um, way southeast. Yeah. Like it's it's weird. Obviously, with the minor league ball, there's a lot of turnover. But what were some things? Because you got to watch it, you know, every day pretty much. What were some of the things that most yeah. impressed you in in your your season with the Marauders? Um, I think the thing that impressed me the most, and it, it kind of ties into being in that playoff race, is that uh, I think there's this misconception in the world of baseball that the players don't necessarily care as much about winning or losing games in single A. Uh, but you you would have thought we were playing for the World Series in the last month of that season last year. Guys were scoreboard watching Lakeland and all the other teams that were in this playoff race every day. And, you know, it it meant a lot to guys to be part of a winning team. Who do, who doesn't want to win? You know, that's a given. But um, I think the biggest misconception with minor league baseball is that guys, and there, I'm sure there's some somewhere that don't care, but, you know, every guy on that Marauders roster last year wanted to make the playoffs. They wanted to win. They wanted to to get a ring, to be a part of something. Um, and I think that just comes down to the coaching staff and, you know, getting players. I think at the minor league level, the biggest thing is to get players to be playing for each other. And that's how you get kind of this push to want to win games, to want to be successful. Uh, you know, I think to a certain degree, it gets you more notoriety when you're winning games. I mean, you think about Davies Nadal last year. This is one of my favorite examples is, he wasn't that well known, you know, in terms of the grand scheme of the Pirates prospect depths. Um, hits a couple of inside the park home runs, has some steals of home. And uh, a couple months later, he's tr- traded to the Kansas City Royals, you know. So that's a guy who, uh, because the team was was playing well, the team were getting notoriety. They were, you know, out and about on, on social media that, you know, he ended up catching somebody's eye somewhere and it, and it worked out for him. Yeah, he was one of, I mean, once again, a lot of turnover, a lot of prospects that come in pre-draft, post-draft. Only three players got into 100 or more games in Bradenton. Jesus Castillo, which I think he's got a lot of upside. Rodolfo Nolasco, who has been one of the top prospects for a long time. I don't know if he's still in the organization. I had to look into that. And then Nadal, none of whom actually posted an OPS over 800. But they were all pretty close. They were all like mid to high seven hundreds. And um, when you talk about Jesus and Dave East, there, those are the, in my opinion, I think I, JJ last year even in conversations, I think those were 
the two best defenders on the team were Nadal and Castillo. Um, Castillo played every position in the infield and outfield. Nadal played every position except for first base and catcher. He pitched an inning once um, in a blowout game. Um, They're just so versatile, incredible speed. Their arm strength is is through the roof. Um, And they were off the top of my head. I know Nadal was the leader, but I think uh, Davies and Jesus were the two stolen base leaders. Castillo played more games than anyone else in the Florida State League. Um, he was first or second in walks by the end of the year. Um, so they were they were guys that that you know I, I think were uh, I, I like to say like they they did their job. Their job was to play five star defense and to get on base and steal bags and create chaos and that that they excelled in that department. Yeah, I didn't have a their stats pulled up. So Castillo, yeah, he led the team, stolen bases 39, Nadal uh, 33, only four caught stealing. So both of them really excelled on the bases. Um, For the team, looking at the pitching staff, 130 games over the season, 78 of them started by just five players. Dominic Paracci, Wilbur Dotel, Derek Diamond, Alessandro Ercolani, and Owen Kellington. Kellington's a name... I mentioned in my top 30 prospects, someone who I, I think is a, a fast riser, potentially. I think he had some injury issues, yeah. forgetting things I talked about in the recent episodes. Uh, but these are all dudes who, at least I've heard of. I vividly remember mentioning them in my weekly recaps last year. Um, who among this group stood out to you the most and and why? Man, that's tough. Um, <laughs> just, uh, I'd say from a from a baseball point of view, I'd say the guy that to me improved the most was Urkelani. Um, unfortunately, he picked up a, an injury towards the end of the year. Um, but at the start of the season, he came in with really a fastball and a slider, and that was about it. And he hadn't really developed any other pitches. And I'd say I remember meeting him uh, the week before the season saying, you know, what do you throw? He's like, fastball, slider. I try to throw change up, but it doesn't do what I want it to do. And um, he's kind of spent that whole season – developing his changeup and while doing that his velo went from 93 up towards 97 consistently and he turned into a flamethrower um for for the marauders last year so um Urkelani is is kind of one of those guys you'd, you'd talk about in a draft where he is a he's a physical beast um he is he is strong so young tall just naturally gifted uh, to be a hard fastball throwing pitcher. Um, and Matt Ford, who is one of the best baseball minds I've ever met in baseball, the Marauders pitching coach last year, and he'll be there again this year. Uh, just knew with every guy's little niche how to connect with them and grow them uh, into a better player. I think Derek Diamond was another guy for me who showed a ton, a ton of improvement. Um One of the things that he had that, you know, I don't want to say no one else had, uh, I think Thomas Harrington, I'd put him up there in this department together was his longevity. Um, No one else in the first month of the season could throw seven and two thirds. Like it was, you know, uh, another day like Derek diamond could. Um, And I think that comes from playing at Ole Miss and being a regular starter for a top 10 team in the country uh, where he was just able to throw seven innings two weeks into the season 
Um, and he had a big hitch in his delivery at the start of the year. He'd kind of had a big pause as he'd bring his lead leg up and got rid of that and ended up starting to sit around 93 and his ERA kept going down and down and down and he ends up in Greensboro. Um, but yeah, I, I can't speak highly enough of the pitching staff and Derek is, is probably one of the best people I've met in terms of players on a team too. He's just such a, a down to earth guy. He won the community partners award. So he got to go up to Pittsburgh for his, his community service work in Bradenton. So just, just so many great people. That's great. And the thing is guys like Parachi diamond, they're not going to be on at least not many top 30 prospect lists because they just, some guys get overlooked, but they're core members of the organization who are definitely putting in innings, definitely providing, uh, a benefit to the team. Uh, Diamond finished with a sub four ERA. Parachi pitched 22 games. I think he led the team in innings pitch, 90.7 innings. Yep. Uh, 90.7, I can't, 90 and two thirds innings. Um, so there's definitely value from these guys. In addition to yeah, that, and- you also got, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, when, when you talk about Parachi specifically, he definitely deserves some credit because he was the only starter that really went wire to wire the whole year. Uh, you right. know, and that's at, at, at any level, you know, it, at the major leagues, I'd say even it's even tougher down at the minor league level. Um, you know, he went wire to wire and towards the end of the year when, you know, some guys might be struggling, some guys might be injured. There were definitely days where he had to, you know, go three innings of one guy, two innings of another, and kind of piece together a Sunday afternoon, you knew every day that Dominic Prachi started, you're going to get six innings. You're going to get six innings, he's going to throw strikes, and it's going to be competitive. And that's so invaluable because just thinking of the, the broader scope of things, it might be a single-A game, sure, whatever it is, but Prachi pitching six innings helps someone else's development because then they don't have to throw three times in a week or it keeps a bullpen guy fresh for a more important moment. You know, it's every person plays their part in the development of the guys around them. And so um, those guys are so invaluable. And Parachi, you know, he, he, he had to carry the load for the Marauders the entire year last year, just kind of be that guy that they could count on to get six innings. And it was, you know, it's a tough job. It's a really tough job. It's a thankless job for sure. Yeah, I, well, I mean, you think about the major leagues, how many guys, I mean, I don't know how much you were able to watch it <laughs> working the whole season, Not but much. how many starters, even league-wide, are able to go six-plus. You know, the Cy Young winner, yeah. I think, averaged like five and two-thirds with Blake Snell. Yeah. So it's not something, it's it's something that that is invaluable but is underappreciated, the, the job that For some sure. of these guys do. So... At Bradenton, you got to see snippets of some other top prospects. Paul Skeens obviously had his pro debut yeah. there. Harrington, you mentioned before, he was there for two months to lead off the year. Uh, Braxton Ashcraft, Michael Kennedy, Hunter Barco. The road to Pittsburgh pretty clearly starts in Bradenton. Obviously, we have our spring yeah. training there, low A team. But what are your thoughts on some of those higher known, higher name uh, prospects yeah. that you saw this past season? Um I'll start with Skeens. Um, uh, of course. Uh, the, 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 just because it's, it's, I mean, there's, he was only there for 10 days, but the whirlwind that he created, there's just so many things that went on while he was there. Um, when he was there, it was pretty much, you know, I, I think he got, he got sick of it. I got sick of it for sure. Um, was 
I think every five days straight from about noon to 4 p.m., Paul and I would sit in a uh, little family room at Lecom Park and we would just be on the phone. ESPN, you know, uh, KDKA, whatever radio talk show or podcast or whoever wanted to talk to him that ever, you know, I would get emailed in the morning from the pirates up in Pittsburgh and say, these are the people he's talking to today. And, you know, Paul and I would sit there for a few hours and just sit on the phone and, 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 and work it out. He is such an impressive human being, um, baseball aside. Um, I remember the, the first conversation I had with him with our clubhouse manager at the time, Mark McKnight, who's a fantastic person in the pirates organization, um, asking him about air force and just kind of where he came from getting to know him type of thing. Um, you know, it's, it's always, it's always hard trying to have a get to know you conversation with a guy that you've studied for six months in a row that you've watched videos on and read about for, for hours on end. But, um, I was, you know, he talking about air force and his experience there. And he says, yeah, once baseball's done, I'll, I'll, I want to go back and serve. You know, if I, if they don't let me serve, I want to, go volunteer coach at air force. And I'm like, this guy's, this guy's 23 years old. He throws 102 miles per hour. He is going to make tens of if not hundreds of millions of dollars in his career, but he still wants to go and serve his country or serve the air force Academy at the end of the day. Um, and you know, he's not a guy that would say that publicly or, you know, brag about it or make it some big talking point. Um, just, just such a humble, humble person, um, and a good dude. I think that's one thing, you know, I learned the most, you know, uh, over the course of the season is that like, at the end of the day, we, we were all just 21 to 25 year old guys. Like it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. You're, you're sitting there eating dinner with people and you're talking about, you know, the weather, or your family or your brothers and sisters. And then you forget like you just signed a $9.8 million signing bonus, didn't you? And you know, that thought's always there in your head. Like, wow, like you're pretty impressive dude. But, um, Paul, Paul's a great guy. Um, and I mean, his, his pitching speaks for itself. I think I wouldn't be surprised to see him end up in Pittsburgh in the first couple months of the season. I'd be surprised if he spends much more time down in, down in India or Altoona. Um, the fact that he even came to Bradenton last year and then went to Altoona afterwards was, was shocking to me just after all the innings he pitched for LSU that year, in addition to the summer before pitching for team USA, um, just a, just a physical beast. Um, and his personality is his character speaks to why he, you know, has been able to gain such success on the field. Uh, it goes hand in hand for sure. Um, Thomas yeah. Harrington, sorry, I'm just rolling here through all the guys you were mentioning. Go for but, it. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, Skeens, a lot of what you're saying is is what we're hearing out of camp. His interactions with players, especially with the Keller extension. Again, I'll talk about that at the end of the episode to yeah. uh, once you're up. Um, just like so eager to be in the clubhouse, learn, be working with guys, be working with catchers. He spent part of the winter down in Bradenton working with uh, Henry Davis and a bunch of other guys who Davis was able to get together. Seems like between those two, we're getting some like big, I don't want to say like loud 
but leaders. We're getting these leaders in the clubhouse leaders. and leaders Skeens. Sure. Yeah, he, Skeens is a, is a tall dude, and so certainly can be commanding. Um, the yeah. guy that you're talking about with Harrington, it feels like he's more under the radar, maybe because of the velocity, maybe because you know Campbell University is only kind of up and coming with Harrington being like the second big draft pick out of there. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Tell me about Harrington. Cause I, I love him. I um, recently saw him on a top hundred list. Oh yeah. So Tom, Tom is, uh, I'd say probably one of the guys I'm, I, I was closest to on the Marauders. Um, everything you would expect in a, uh, small town Southern boy, um, just uber polite and respectful to everyone that he meets. And, um, and you, you mentioned it, quiet dude, pretty quiet dude. Um, you know, he's not going to be the guy out there fist pumping or screaming or, you know, putting on a show on the mound necessarily. Uh, but he's just a worker. Um, he's a guy that's going to sh- show up every day. His command is dominant. His pitch mix is very well developed for a guy that played at a smaller program. Um, and, I think the biggest thing for Tom is the mental side of his game. Uh, just considering coming from Campbell and, you know, being a lesser known commit out of high school. And I'd say even for a guy that was picked in the, the uh, it was the compensation balance round. I think when Tom got picked up, if I'm mis- Yeah. Not I think he was comp, comp but, B. Uh, comp B. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, who hasn't really gotten talked about that much in terms of, you know, anything pipeline related or, or stuff like that. But his, his mental side of his game is just on another level um, in terms of his pitching uh, very laid back uh, as, as a person who uh, just, just does his job comes to work and, you know, has fun. He's, um, one of the one of the stories that I remember from Tom was we were playing in Tampa. I think it was our first trip to Steinbrenner of the year, and um, it was the same weekend that the Pirates were playing Tampa Bay um, for the May World Series last year. And um, all the Pittsburgh writers were down there covering the Pirates, and so they said, "Can we come over and you know talk to some guys before your game against Tampa?" And absolutely. And I was sitting there talking with uh, a few people in the press box three hours maybe before the game uh, against Tampa. And there's just nobody on the field. The ballpark's dead. Um, and there's one guy just standing on the pitching rubber, just like staring at home plate. And everyone in the press box is like, who is that? And I'm like, that, that's Thomas Harrington. He's just getting focused. He's just mentally locked in the second he shows up the ballpark every day, just ready to go to work. Um, so... I love Tom. He's a he's a great dude, and um, I think he'll be a, a big league pitcher for the Pirates. There's no doubt in my mind about that, and uh, I think uh, he's he's gonna gonna shine in Altoona, and I think that's a really really good stage for him and a chance for Pirates fans. I think for the first time to really get to see him, uh, you know, being so close to Pittsburgh, um, him getting the spring training invite is is such a big jump uh, this year, and it's thoroughly deserved. Um, you know, I think one thing for Tom, and then I'll move on. Sorry, I'm rambling here, but there's just there's there's not That's enough good things for. to say about to <laughs> say about most of these guys. Um, but in different different for him than most guys that were drafted in his draft class as pitchers is he didn't pitch at all in the complex in the 2022 complex league season. 
So his first pro start was in Bradenton. That was it. It was opening day, April 7th against Clearwater, um, was his first ever pro game. And two months later, he's called up to Greensboro already. So I think for anybody, it doesn't matter where you came from. If you're going at, getting thrown into your first pro game in front of 4,000 people uh, and you he dominated that day, I think he went six with like nine Ks or something off the top of my head, but it was – it was an unbelievable performance, and, and two months later, he's he's called up to uh, to Greensboro. So he's 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 a great guy, and uh, he texted me on his way down to uh, uh, spring training the other day and said, uh, "I have three and a half hours of Alan Jackson ready to go." And I said, "That's the North Carolina boy I know, right there, ready, ready, <laughs> ready to listen to '90s country on his trip to Bradenton." So I was going to say, Alan uh, Jackson, what is he forty? Oh hey, that, that was our that was our that was our first bonding was uh, old '90s country. There was um, one week when we were playing in Tampa. The Morgan Wallen concert was right next door to where we were staying. Um, so yeah. it, the the hotel was just a mob scene of Morgan Wallen fans. And uh, I was I was like, anyone else here like country? And then Tom and I just start talking about uh, Chattahoochee and every other song we can think of from back in the '90s country era. But um, yeah, the a good dude he'll he'll be a fast riser um i mentioned braxton ashcraft he was with us for a little bit of time but um another quiet professional just yeah show up get the job done um some really impressive guys that came late in the season uh for in terms of the bullpen patrick riley and Jaden woods are the two that come to mind the most um Jaden in his first i think 10 or 12 bullpen appearances last year did not allow a hit um, was just so, so dominant. Um, and another guy I think that the Pirates have done a really good job of is finding pitchers down the draft sheet who come in and are just ready to throw strikes and get to work. And that was Jaden. It was unbelievable. He could give you a, he could protect a one run lead in the bottom of the ninth inning with runners on base, or he could give you three innings of shutout ball if you needed him to. It was just a very versatile guy to come out of the bullpen. Um, and then Pat Riley goes without saying you play at Vanderbilt you're going to be a pretty good play baseball player when you come to the professional level but um just really impressive velo and another guy that just I think has unbelievable potential uh with the coaching staff in Bradenton um and the Pirates as a whole yeah the, the 2022 draft seemed surprisingly pitcher heavy obviously guys mm-hmm. like Harrington I mean behind Tamar Johnson, who we're going to talk about in a second, yeah. but uh, uh, we're seeing a lot of those guys kind of filling in roles, whether that's starting a relief. And as you mentioned with like Patrick Riley and Jaden Woods, really excelling Woods has been someone who I've, I've heard about and haven't been able to take as close a look. It's, it's been something that's come up a lot this off season. Is there a specific pitcher like bullpen pitcher and then we'll move on who you were really excited about last year um ryan harvin uh ryan harvin Andy sheet over here yeah, yeah yeah it's 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 a it's a name that's not as well known but um if you really break down the the analytics and the velo from him last year it's pretty impressive what he what he was able to do um Harbin probably has one of the best draft stories I've ever heard um, from a guy. Um, so he's from Bartow, Florida, which is about 45 minutes from Bradenton. 
um, right. wasn't even recruited to play division one, two or three college baseball out of high school. And he had a, it was the Florida state high school all-star game was being played at Lakeland at the Tigers uh, ballpark and a local, uh, a pitcher dropped out of it. And Harbin was from a local high school and they said, can you come fill in and just, we just need a pitcher to throw in it, you know, basically is, is how he explained it to me. Like they just needed a body to show up and throw. And so Harbin uh, goes to play in this game, but it was the night of his high school graduation. Um, so he, he misses this graduation to go throw in this Florida high school all-star game. And lo and behold, there's a pirate scout there that notices him. And he goes from being set up to play um, NAIA baseball to drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates um, and staying in his home state. Yep. Um, which is just it, such a such a random turn of events, which I think is is so cool. Um, but Harbin, until Paul Skeen showed up, had thrown I think three or four of the fast ten fastest pitches on the entire season in a Marauders uniform. I want to say he was nineteen of twenty, damn near. Or I don't know if I can pardon my language, but um, in save opportunities, um, had a sub. I want to say sub one ERA by the time he got called up to Greensboro. Um, but yeah, was here, just here's his stats. Let, let me go ahead and yeah. give you that. Yeah. He had 21 games, finished 11 of them, 32 point, uh, 32 and two thirds innings, a uh, 0.83 ERA. Yeah. 40, 44 it's, strikeouts it's, to 15 walks. Those are video game numbers for a guy like out of the bullpen. That's who you want in your bullpen. And that's elite. Got, that's like, that's a velocity. closer. Yeah, that's a closer. I mean, uh, that's like the definition of a closer. Yep, seventeenth round pick in the twenty nineteen uh, draft. But uh, so I'm gonna have to look into him more. But switching gears to the offense, Jamar Johnson mentioned him far and away our best hitting prospect. He had a slow start last year, kind of stymied spring training hamstring issue. Uh, got yeah. into 75 games there, 330 plate appearances, triple slash, 244, 419, 448, 13 home runs, 10 doubles. Strikeouts were a concern for someone so lauded for plate discipline, but you got to see him in person for much of the season. What are your takeaways yeah. from Tremar? Is he more of this kind of power? I mean, I, I compare him now to like Juan Soto, where his batting average isn't going to be elite, yeah. but he's going to get a, a ton of walks on base percentage over 400 and get a good amount of home runs finished with, I think 23 last year, something like that. Yeah. What, what was your takeaway watching uh, Tamar last year? I think the biggest thing for Tamar, I think Juan Soto's a, a great comp. Um, he likes to, I, I, I know his favorite players, uh, Robbie Cano. So that was kind of his, always the guy he aspired to be in terms of a baseball player. Um, but what Tamar opened up last year was his backside hitting was he was able to, instead of trying to pull everything down the right field line for a home run, he really opened up the left center field gap, poking it down the line um, and just diversified his approach to the plate in terms of where he could take the baseball off the bat. Um, and you, you mentioned the walks um, there in, in Tamar's last month with us, um, one day Tamar comes up to to me and some of the coaches were sitting in the coach's office and he goes, I went four for five today. And I, I'm thinking to myself, no, Tamar, you went two for three, but okay. 
He's like, he goes, yep, two hits, two walks, five plate appearances. I'm like, oh, okay. So he got to the point where he was wa- he was just starting to count walks as hits because he was getting on base so much um, with his with his ability to just work the count deeper and deeper. Uh, and I, I that was the Marauders in general last year. We we walked, we broke minor league records for the amount of walks that we drew as as a ball club. Um, we didn't break the Florida State League record, uh, which I know the coaching staff and I looked up back then. It was something like 1132 walks in like 1927. So we were we were a couple hundred wow. off of the league walks record. But um uh yeah, I'm I'm sure they were underhanding the ball back then or or, or something. That's <laughs> yeah. that's what led to the two bases. Uh, but uh, no, Termar something like that. Diverse, diversified his approach so much to to where he started counting walks as hits. Um his power is unbelievable, um, but you're not going to find a lot of guys like him, I don't think, in in the game of baseball. Who um, there was one game where he went three for four with a two run tank that was hit like 450, but then also two push bunt singles that he beat out at first. You know, so there's not a lot of guys that are going to have two bunt singles and a monster tank home run in the same game. It's 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 pretty impressive just um, how well he can he can keep a defense on its toes because he has, you know, opened up all parts of the field. He can bunt, he can knock one over the boardwalk. And it's, it's, it's really impressive how much he, he grew in Bradenton. And I think the biggest thing he grew in was his, his mental side of the game. Um, His first year, I think he'd, he'd admit he was a guy that got frustrated really easily. That was, you know, uh, and, and who wouldn't be if you're coming from playing against high school kids that throw 84 to, you know, we, we saw a hundred plus of ELO a couple times this year. And, you know, this, it was obviously Tamar's second year, but he saw that as an 18 year old kid fresh out of high school, that he was facing guys yep. that were touching 98, 99 consistently. And I think it, you know, who wouldn't, you know, have, have trouble adjusting to that, you know, physically and mentally as a player. Um, but he really just found a, a piece with himself and a piece with his game this past year. That was, you know, a result of him getting called up to Greensboro and, he kept on hitting the crap out of the baseball when he went to Greensboro. Yeah, no, it was a stellar year. One of, I want to say six players in the minor leagues with hundred plus walks. Jesus Castillo was one of those as well, but yep. uh, Tremar did it with the least amount of plate appearances of that group with Johnson being part of that 2022 draft where it was very top heavy with high school hitters, including the yep. current number one prospect in all of baseball, Jackson holiday. Does he, because Holiday has the potential to you know, be on a major league roster to start the season, Johnson, yeah, further down that on that, uh, and not that we don't need a yeah. second baseman, that's that's not certainly set in stone yet, but does Johnson have, like, d- d- when he would play, would he get into that kind of comparison of, oh, I need to be better than Holiday, better than Jones, better than th- those other guys in that draft class, or is he just staying focused in his own game? Because it's a very yeah, different no, game Termar, from those guys. Holiday was was yeah. one of the hundred walk guys, but I think that's why he he. I, I'll, first up, no, I don't think he he has never. I've never even heard him mention Jackson Holiday or anyone else from that draft class. He's friends with a lot of other guys from that draft. He's friends pretty close with Drew Jones, I know too. Uh, but it's it's. I think when it comes to Jackson Holiday, he is so different as a player. And I think also 
um, to call a spade a spade is the Orioles that are a much different place than the Pirates are right now in terms of would it do Tamar any good to go up to Pittsburgh right now? I don't know. I'm sure you know everyone would love to play in the major leagues, but Tamar is you know as 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 far as top five picks in a draft go, I've never seen a guy who is just more within himself to be happy to be playing baseball where he is and to just continue to develop. You know, it was, it was very rare if ever, I don't, that I can recall where any guy in that clubhouse ever said like, I got to get out of here. I got to go to Greensboro. I got to, you know, I got to keep moving up. You know, everyone was just there to show up and play every day. And I think Tamar was a big part of that. Um, you know, I wherever he goes, they have to have a Chick Fil A and a Chipotle within five minutes of the ballpark, or that man will not survive. Um, that he'll, is, he'll that is like, yeah. If there's if there's a Chick Fil A or a Chipotle bag in the clubhouse garbage can, you know who it was every time. Um, but all right, yeah, just getting to work with Termar. You know, it, there were times where I'm like, wait, I'm six years older than you, but you somehow have the professionalism of a you know 28 year old dude, um, and it was just really impressive to see how, how much he grew in Bradenton mentally. That was the biggest thing for him this past year. And I think um, it showed on the field that his, he was just so much more relaxed and able to play his true game. Yeah. Well, I, my main takeaway from that is no one wants to go to Greensboro, but the team <laughs> did have a number of, uh, I mean, it's, it's hit or Haven there, but I'll talk about that next week with uh, whoever my guest ends up being the, with Bradenton, number of fun players you had come through both before and after the draft. International yeah. prospects, Shailen Polanco, Jordani De Los Santos, uh, 2021 draft pick, Lonnie White Jr., who I, I'm still very high on. I'm glad to see he still yeah. he's, was able to have a at least mostly healthy year. And then post-draft, yeah. Mitch Jeb, Charles McAdoo, Garrett Forrester. Each of those guys are very different hitters in approach results what they're kind of targeting for the most part what stood out to you the most uh, among these guys um i'll start from the most recent draft guys um and kind of work my way back there's just so many names that keep it's like a it's like a slot machine right now in my head like mcadoo jeb you know just rolling over and over but mcadoo uh put together the single greatest at any level of baseball majors down to high school whatever the greatest single game hitting performance I have ever seen that I've ever watched highlights of that I've ever seen live. Uh, When he went six for six in Fort Myers with eight RBI, um, two homers and a couple of hard hit ground balls, a couple of inside out swings that ended up as duck fart singles, just such a versatile hitter. Um, and a guy that, you know, that seems to be kind of who the Pirates are drafting a lot of lately defensively is he can play in left field. He can play right. He can play second base. You know, he can he can move around the diamond, um, you know, kind of like a, a, a G1 Bay type player where you can stick him wherever. Henry Davis playing in right field, but also catching and you might stick him at first base. Um, the Pirates seem to have a lot of guys in the system that can uh, play, you know, all over the minor league system. Um Garrett Forrester, another great name, um, obviously got injured with us, so missed about the last month and a half, I want to say, of the season. Um, but he has the best eye of any hitter I I, I saw the entire season. Um, he drew in an a unorthodox amount of walks 
considering the short stint that he had um, in Bradenton. He just got on base, um, and he's a guy who will abuse and really succeed with the automatic balls and strikes uh, strike zone. Just that's so, so tight. He will draw a heap of walks at whatever level he's at with the, with the eye that he possesses. Um, and Mitch Jeb, the last guy from that most recent draft class um, was just a unbelievably aggressive base runner, which with his speed turned singles into doubles, it turned, you know, there, his, his first ever plate appearance. Uh, I'll, I'll just leave it at this for Mitch. All you need to know about him a uh, ground ball that barely squirts through the infield uh, that ends up as a double diving headfirst into second base. And then on the very next pitch, a wild pitch to the backstop that Mitch scores all the way from second base on. Um, And it's not even a close play at home plate. Uh, Just fearless on the base paths. Um, His swing is something so many people talk about how it's unorthodox. It is a little goofy. For sure, uh, it looks it doesn't look natural, um, but it works for him because he he hit for a good average. He got on base and he used his speed to, you know, make plays. And uh, another guy that's a great middle infielder, you know, to to kind of I think complement Tamar Johnson in the system maybe this year or the next year. Yeah, definitely. Uh, with I think Forrester, he had ten walks in twenty nine plate appearances. With Jeb, that unorthodox way that he he kind of his swing is I don't, I, unorthodox is, is pretty much the only term we could use for it. It's, it's just very yeah. weird. He's kind of got this like Ichiro Suzuki where he's already running as he's hitting the ball sort of thing. As, as he's yeah. I like to say it's like a, a slapper and it's like a slap hit in softball. Yeah. Like if you watch college softball, that's that's and it, sure. it, the result is almost the exact same thing. It's he's taking it the other way or he's poking it down the line and it turns into extra base hits for him. And with the shift being removed, I, I guess universally cool. now because it was hasn't been yeah. in the minors, that's opening the opportunity for him to be able to to find those yeah. holes uh, in the in the infield and and get those slap hits and turn them into doubles because of his great speed. Uh, yeah. Of that first group, the one I mostly want to talk about is Lonnie White Jr. because yep. like he's in that class with uh, Anthony Salamito, Bubba Chandler, Henry Davis, high school hitter. Uh, Malvern Prep was committed to PSU. He just cannot stay healthy, and he's got so much talent. You were able to see him healthy this past year. What are your yeah. like just straight up thoughts on Lonnie White and his ability to, if he stays healthy, move up through the system? Yeah, I think uh, first and foremost, he's a he's a physical beast. Um, you mentioned from Malvern, he committed to Penn State to play football and baseball at the same, you know, yeah, be a two sport athlete. Yeah. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty unbelievable. Um, but Lonnie's first week with us, we were in Daytona for 4th of July and first ball ever hit to him in right field, probably about, you know, 320 feet back catches it. No crow hop, no janitor throw guns, a guy down tagging up from third. And I'm like, wow, this guy has some arm strength in the outfield. And then he figured out how to put the ball in play and barrel it up. And I went, oh, my God, this guy can absolutely destroy baseballs. Um, Long ball Lonnie White Jr. is what we started calling him in Bradenton last year. Um, One or two grand slams, a couple of real clutch spots offensively. Um, I think he 
he's going to be a big league player in my eyes, but I, I mean this in like the best way possible. I don't think he's going to be a superstar, but I think he's going to be an everyday player who will hit for really good numbers, who will play outstanding defense. And, you know, he, he will be a guy that starts on the lineup card every day, but he might not be an all-star every year. But I think that he is just going to be a very successful professional at the major league level, you know, and not every, not every prospect's going to be an all-star is one thing that, that I've learned for sure is that, you know, some guys are just going to make it. And that's, that's more than most do. And I think Lonnie's a guy that'll make it and be a, a, a productive guy for Pittsburgh. That's my hope. I mean, you, you think about like Ryan Reynolds, everyone's saying like, yeah. Oh, he's the, he's face of the franchise, big contract, all that. Just like, he's, he's just a productive guy. He's not an all-star every year. He's, he had one year he got MVP votes. If Lonnie White Jr. approaches that, that's great. Like you said, so many guys yeah. fizzle out and so many, like I, I just, like I mentioned, wrapped up my top 30 prospects. Third year that I've done it. And if I go back and look, a good amount of guys who I've mentioned on that either didn't make it, aren't going to make it, are in different organizations. You, yep. you can have all the hope in the world for these guys. And there's a lot of luck to it and just making it to the show. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think uh, just but, one more guy, if I could touch on just one last it. guy, I don't mean to take up too much of your time, but uh, I got my coffee. I'm person good. I, okay. The per- person I've tweeted about to look out for since the first week of the season last year, and some people are high on him. Some people aren't Jack Brannigan, Jack Brannigan, Jack Brannigan, Jack Brannigan, Jack Brannigan. I'll say it 50 times. Jack Brannigan is in my opinion, the most well-rounded player in the system right now. Uh, There's not a lot of third basemen that are going to steal 20 bags for you. Um, He has great speed, great intuition on the base paths, hits for power. He can turn doubles into triples. Um, He is outstanding defensively. He missed uh, some time with injury, but at third base is just an unbelievable arm. Uh, from the hot corner and can play short and second too. Um, so yep. I, I digress, but Jack buy Jack Brannigan stock. If you're a pirates fan right now, cause he will, he will impress. He had a really rough time in the Arizona fall league, um, but finished strong say, with a couple he, of home. Yeah. He finished strong down the stretch with a couple of homers. Um, I actually went down to Arizona to see him uh, during the fall league. Um, yeah, I went to Arizona state. So I was there for, homecoming and I, I texted Bran and I'm like, you guys playing today? And sure enough, they were. So came out, got to see a game and um, just a, just a good dude who, uh, you know, wants to be a part of the pirates organization and buy Jack Brannigan stock. Just, just do it. Don't, don't ask questions. Just buy Jack Brannigan stock for sure. I really like Brannigan. You mentioned third base. I think he was drafted, may have been drafted as a two-way player. He was a relief pitcher in college. Yeah, he but, was uh, in Arizona. Hasn't, hasn't pitch. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think they've kind of pushed past that. Maybe aren't doing that yeah. for anyone. Uh, Arizona yeah. Fall League, he exclusively played shortstop with yep. the Saltwater Raptors. Uh, so that's exciting. His floor, like going back to Harrington, Harrington's got one of the highest floors of the pitching prospects. Uh, maybe yeah. Skeens is higher than him, but I, I, Harrington's just got such good control. Um, I, I feel like Brannigan has that high floor for the position player level. And so yeah. he might not have like the highest, like a, a 30 plus home run ceiling, but he's got that like Jared Triolo 
kind of floor where he yeah. could be a super utility, sure. versatile, great fielder, great, really strong arm from what I've seen on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I can buy on Brannigan. But Sweet. looking Welcome to... the club. <laughs> I think I had him 20. I'd have to go back and look. He, he was in my 20 to 21 to 30 group for the top 30 prospects. Um, but looking to this season, Fangraphs roster resource predicts a few holdovers at Bradenton. Omar Alfonso is a name that came up during that prospect series. He had strong numbers last season. Uh, triple slash of 273, 390, 413, 182 plate appearances. He did have a strong uh, BABIP of 363, which would come back to earth mm-hmm. as he moves up the levels. Defense in the lower levels isn't always as good as yeah. uh, the higher ones. But entering a year where he's going to be 24, essentially the entire season, what can you tell me about Alfonso? I think Omar's a guy who should not be in single A anymore. Um he, I, I think I've, I had this debate a lot with uh, coaches last year and other people that, that worked in the MILB sphere, but there is 100% some sort of value to being a clutch player. Uh, Omar Alfonso, and I'll throw Giovanni Planchart a mention here too, uh, both hit over 450 with runners in scoring position last year. Uh, and to me, that talks... Specifically, if you want to, you know, put it in an, uh, you know, a baseball mind point of view, that means they have a, a an unbelievable freaking approach in the batter's box. Uh, you know that that's one thing that so many guys last year on any team in the Florida State League, and you know when the Marauders were included, you had guys that hit two eight, two eighty, two seventy one, but then hit one fifty with runners in scoring position. You know because they yeah. just they just could not change their approach to do the job, um, you know, and, and Omar and Planchart were guys that both realized, you know, like if I hit a ground ball here with a runner on third and one out, it'll score a run, you know, and, and instead of trying to find a gap, they just went up there to do their job and bring a run in. And more often than not, you know, to be the, my favorite cliche, you put the ball in play, good things are going to happen. Um, and Omar really developed late in the season as, as a power hitter. And I think um, I'm hoping for his sake, cause he's such a great dude um, that his ability to play first base will really help him jump up the levels, you know, at some point too. Yeah. Uh, 16.5% walk rate last year, strikeout rate, only 25.3%. Those are respectable numbers. Great play discipline. Like you said, was able to hit in the clutch. Um, final thing before we wrap up on this player you saw or even wish to see, cause I know some guys were supposed to make it to Bradenton and, and didn't yeah. quite get there. Uh, who you saw last year, who fans should most be excited about going into this season, whether they're going to move up or, or be in Bradenton okay. all year, you know, it's hard to say, but, uh, guy who we haven't talked about who you're most excited about, or even someone who we did, I don't care. I mean, Paul, I'll say Paul Skeens, because if I don't, then, you know, some people might be worried because the, but Paul Skeens, yes, be <laughs> excited about Paul Skeens, everybody. He is good. He, it's, he's, he is as advertised. Uh, but I would you, say. You guys didn't get the, a, the Libby Dunny, uh, Libby Dunn, however you say her name, rush in Bradenton, like they did in Altoona when he. Oh, we did. There. We did. So, um, yeah, the first, the, his first start. Uh, she was, uh, I was with Mark McKnight. I was telling you the story about Paul talking about the air force Academy and Mark McKnight, the clubhouse manager asked him in that same conversation is, is your girlfriend coming tonight? Cause this was kind of 
at the stage where that relationship wasn't public yet. You know, uh, I mean, we, we all knew about it for a while, but it wasn't, you know, out, out in the world, so to say. Um, but he was like, yeah, I got her tickets. And she probably sat down in her seat for maybe two minutes before there was a line of a 250 teenage boys uh, up and down the rows of Lecom Park waiting to get a picture with her. And uh, I remember texting uh, oh. one of our front office members because uh, I could see it from the press box. And I'm like, you, I'm like, Livy is getting swarmed right now. We had a plan for this. We had talked about it in our weekly meeting. Uh, so she spent the rest of the series sitting in the press box next to me, actually, which was pretty cool. Um, you know, uh, not, not that it relates to baseball, but really nice person. Like, you know, you, good. You see how famous both, both Paul and Livy are, but like, they're both just fantastic people, really nice people. Um, but yeah, um, that was, that was a whirlwind for us to have Livy, Livy done at Lecom Park, um, was, was pretty crazy. I, I imagine she might be the first like wag, wives and girlfriend of a pirate player to, or pirate prospect to get a bobblehead at some point. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, as a I mean, it's, it's, just, it, it's, it's, so it'll, de- it'll definitely happen. Um, but that's one thing um, I remember uh, we were talking about earlier, the interviews that Paul was doing, like um, he doesn't like to talk about his personal life. His sister runs his Instagram account. Like he's, he's just focused on the job. You know, he's a pretty, pretty low key dude. So um that's it's very interesting that she's so public and he's so quiet but when you meet both of them they're they're just it makes sense they're just awesome people and she's she's a really cool person so it's it's good for the pirates i think it's like free pr you know when she posts a snapchat story wearing a wearing a pirate's hat it's pretty cool yeah pirates Um, could use some good pr these days fair fair uh but to to go back to your question um one guy to look out for to be excited about um termar johnson i know we talked about him but i think he's really gonna hit a peak here i expect to see him start in altoona i'd be very surprised if he didn't um and i think we could see him in triple a towards the end of the season um kind of like a uh kind of like solo did um kind of a late season push to move up a level um so yeah i think termar um i know we talked about him but he has so much room to grow he's still you know he he would still be in college right now and i think that's what a lot of people forget um i think people on twitter you know are most volatile when it comes to termar johnson they're they're really up on him or they're really down depending on if he's striking out or hitting home runs but just keep the faith in him you know i think that's a guy that is going to explode this year. So um, I'm done with my rambling. You're, you have your show back no. now. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. Hey, Jamar Johnson, five foot eight, pure muscle. Uh, I'm excited for him. I, I like I said, I, I make a Juan Soto comp for him. So I, I yeah. don't see his like Jose Altuve height. I mean, Jose Altuve is a, a comp is fine too, but yeah, I, I could see a, a lot even higher ceiling for Jamar. But uh, thank you so much for jumping on the show. Uh, I'll be right back with the weekly recap. And I am back and joined by my double play partner, Ed, Ed Wassel. Haven't seen him since Pirates Fest. He haven't been on since the episode right before that because we had our top 30 prospects. But hopefully you'll be able to be back because we're going to be doing farm system had a great talk with ben the other day really excited for you guys to hear that but let's get into some news from this past week 
big one, obviously, Mitch Keller extension, five years, $77 million. Uh, he's They had reached arbitration for $5.4425 million. So I, it looks like that's what the amount is for this year. Signing bonus of a little over $2 million. I think that's spread out over the first couple of years, something like that. Uh, 2025, $15 million. 26 is 16.5, 27 is 18, 28 is 20 million. I'm getting these numbers from our, our numbers guru, Ethan Houlihan. Were you surprised that this deal ended up coming together? I know that was something was rumored, talked about all off season, but the fact that it actually happened here at the start of spring training, what were your thoughts on that? I, w- I wasn't necessarily surprised that it came together. I think everyone had hoped and expected it to prior to the start of the season. What surprised me is that the first two years of the contract basically cover his last two years of arbitration rather than like an actual five-year extension. That's what I was, that's what I was hoping yeah. for. More of like a seven-year deal it's a, than... It's a three-year extension. Yeah. Pretty much. But, so, but I mean, at least uh, we know he's definitely locked up for five years. Yeah. And highest um, AAB... Second highest, or maybe maybe third highest. No, I think it's it's higher than Hayes got. So, second highest contract the Pirates have given out. Reynolds is still the highest in total dollars amount, but um, yeah, by far the most they've given a pitcher. Next highest was three years, thirty six million or thirty nine million to Liriano back in 2014, 2015, something like that. So definitely a big dollar amount. Moves this past week. Only move, Kanan Smith and Jigba came back. He was waived by the Mariners magically. Even though Pirates apparently were last in line under the new rules, they were able to add him. They moved uh, JT Brubaker to the 60-day IL. That's pretty much it for the 60-day guys. Mike Burrows is not going to pitch for a long period of time, but they didn't put him on the 60-day last year. They're unlikely to start his clock this year. I mean, we'll see with that. I'm happy to have CSN back. I was a bit surprised, but I was, I'm was. i glad that they did it because he has a lot of upside. Surprised that he, he didn't stick with Seattle, but sometimes that stuff doesesn't happen. Um, now I, I kind of wish that he was in my top 30 prospects list. <laughs> Your th- any thoughts on that, CSN coming back? No, I, I'm happy that he's coming back. I know... Basically, when the news broke that he was the 40-man move, we were both like, oh, you know, that's our guy. We we kind of figured it was coming, too. I was messaging a few people on Twitter, and uh, one of them, our buddy Mike Crawford with the Pirates, he's like, do you think it's going to be CSN? I'm like, I, I worry that it's going to be. So I'm glad that he was able to come back and that maybe they can make something work. Um, I'm going to talk about his performance in the game against the Twins in a minute, but first... The big news this week that came before the Keller extension was uh, Stephen Nesbitt of The Athletic uh, posted an article detailing some things about the Pirates that were a little bit unsavory on the national spotlight. It's a lot of stuff that we, as fans, as, as people who follow this pretty closely already knew, but it's pretty much putting it out there, playing for everyone else, kind of like that. I don't want to say the Hoka Hay stuff, but it's it's, it's all kind of coming out in, the, in that sort of sense. So some of the stuff that was new for me, I think, for it was 
that the money for the new building or buildings in Bradenton came out of the MLB club operating budget, uh, about $8 million for that. The team waited a day to make a trade to save 30000 uh, the Nunnally situation, we we knew about that stuff last year. He worked with Key Brian Hayes, was helping with the swing and, and mechanics and things like that. It was very hush-hush. Um, Nesbitt was on with the NS9 guys last week where he was able to get into a little bit more detail on that. But overall, it was, was very... <laughs> was, was, I don't want to say defamatory because <laughs> it, it was pretty much laying plain what was going on. But it definitely paints the team in, in a bad light. And Nesbitt, I mean, he was previously a beat writer with the, the Post-Gazette. So he's he covered the Pirates not that long ago. This wasn't new for him. He's He must have been aware of a lot of this stuff. Um, Ken Rosenthal apparently approached him and said, hey, let's do this story. And he was like, I've got a half-written man, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> so uh, you admitted that you have not read the article. Correct. Um but you have heard a lot of the stuff about it. Yeah, I've got snippets of some of the stuff that was in it. And personally, I'm happy it came out because maybe it'll, you know, shine a little national light, which a lot of people already talked about the way the organization was run. But maybe having some of that stuff released will pressure nutting to either, you know, do things the right way or, I mean, I don't see him selling the team. He just makes too much money. No. It's it's just not going to happen right now. Yeah, how so cheap do you have to be to wait a day to save thirty thousand dollars, dude? I I really I'm interested as to like what the situation was there that happened because they must have been trading for someone to improve the team and it would have increased the payroll and but like it it, it was probably like oh you know the paychecks hit tomorrow so we have to wait <laughs> for a day. I mean it. It must have been something like, let's wait until the like trade deadline down to the minute to sign, like trade for Mur Morneau or Marlon Bird or whatever it was back in 2013 or in, in like that range. But I mean, we're probably never going to know for sure. But positive side for people who are excited about it, at least, <laughs> uh, spring training game started. This week, uh, we got our two games. Twins game on Saturday. Bailey Falter, strong first inning, ran into trouble in the second. Jared Jones, big prospect, big velo immediately, working fastball slider. Uh, per baseball savant, he had one changeup and one curve of his 15 pitches. I think he was uh, nine strikes, six walks. Control's been a bit of an issue for him, but he's just working on his stuff. It's first first appearance. You, Take very little from the results that you're seeing this weekend uh, and even the first week or two weeks of spring training. Jose Hernandez, he faced four batters, one walk and three strikeouts. So he's in like midseason form. Henry Davis, three really hard hit balls, got hits on two of them. The third one almost left the yard behind the dish. And it was a radio only broadcast. So he made a great catch on the net. Sounded like a great catch based on how Brownie and, and walk uh walker responded to it but there were three wild pitches while he was behind the dish so i don't know if those were corralable or not uh like i said radio only don't know who's truly at fault there furthest hit ball was a near homer in the first inning by Kanan smith and jigba it's kind of the fairway i think it was first pitch it may have been first or second pitch but he launched it and you could hear it on the broadcast uh really excited and then he had like a bloop single his second at bat 
Edward Olivares, big two-run triple in the third, scored two runs. Um, surprised. I, I I don't know. Again, radio only. Don't know that he has like the kind of speed to get a triple, especially Bradenton. Like, it's not a huge park. Uh, big difference in the game, unfortunately. Uh, Kyle Nicholas, he got two outs in his inning. I think it was like the fifth, maybe sixth inning. Men on the corners, gave up a home run. Had an expected batting average of .080. Sometimes baseball just doesn't work that way. Spring training, like I said, not looking at results much yet. Team lost 2-0. Uh, excuse me. What was the score? 5-3 on Saturday. Um, today, game against the Orioles. Keller started, got a pair of Ks, uh, I think one or two walks in his two innings. Dari Moretta pitched the second inning. He looked really good, really sharp. Uh, velocity was mid-90s. Offense took a bit to go get going. Hard contact. Um, Hayes, two batted balls over 105 miles per hour. Uh, Leo Piguero had one at 100 and one at 99. Cruz, he launched a ball into literal orbit. Very foul, but like it left Lee calm. It was, it went so, it may have gone to Pirate City. Bunch of balls hit hard that got knocked down by the wind. Uh, Reynolds, Gonzalez, Brannigan each hit what sounded like homers off the bat, looked like homers off the bat. And then the wind just blew it. The wind was all over the place. A couple guys were having trouble getting, um, catching the ball. Nick Gonzalez at one point uh, in the seventh inning, I want to say, hit, or maybe it was the sixth inning, hit the ball and the second baseman was trying to track it and ended up falling, like bouncing off his glove right by the first baseline. And Gonzalez ended up with a double. The wind just kept blowing it. Just, just Bradenton wind is weird. Uh, Brannigan, I just talked about with Ben, he especially, 108.3 off the bat. I think it was the hardest hit ball by a pirate today. Expecting batting average of 940. Again, Sometimes that's just how it goes. In the field, Cruz turned a double play in the first inning. Looked really spry. Peggy, nice defensive stop in the fourth, I want to say. Uh, like, covered a lot of ground getting to that ball. And Rowdy fielded well. He even got a line out in, I think, the second inning for that. So definitely promising. Not After the starters left, there were some defensive issues. But, you know spring training for everybody not gonna get into too much uh there lost five three nope. to the twins lost two zero I forget today. about uh gorski's throw and what was the top of the ninth yeah top of the ninth uh i mean another run scored but it should have been a double and gorski was in left field and he gunned out a guy at second it was a close play but yeah gorski's got an arm yeah that was a, that was a nice um, throw that was really good uh, Rowanzi Contreras scheduled to pitch on Monday. As you're listening to that, uh, this episode, it's either today or it already happened. Excited to see how he looks this spring. A lot of good things we're hearing out of Pirate City. Hoping he's put things back together, ready for a breakthrough season. Did I miss anything with, else with the games or anything else that happened this week? I don't think so. Gonna have to look and, and double check. I'm pretty sure that's it. Like I said, it's spring training. We're going to be hearing stories. It doesn't look like anything else is going to be um, any other acquisitions, trades. Everything seems like it's kind of done right now. 
which is what it is, I guess, because there's a lot of pitchers that they're probably going to want to see between the four who might be making those final rotation spots. Uh, last thing, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and plug because, you know, it's friends of ours. Uh, Murph, Nola, uh, John Drecker, a, a bunch of guys got together. Draft Nation 2024, Pittsburgh Pirates Minor League Guide, uh, Dave Finoli, like just all the people who know everything about the Pirates. They, uh, John and, and uh, David Finoli have written a whole bunch of books on the Pirates. So if you get a chance, if you're interested in learning more about their minor leagues, they've got a guide for this year. I don't know if it's going to be an annual thing, but I'm excited to get my copy. Definitely check it out. Um, I'll, I'll post a link for it just because, you know, why not? But uh, that wraps it up for this week's episode. Thank you again to Ben Picorni for jumping on with me this week. He's no longer in the Pirates organization. Fortunately, keeps in touch with the guys. Was a really good resource for that stuff. He's moved to the Pioneer League working play-by-play for the Idaho Falls team this season. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben Picorni. You can also find me there, 412 Double Play, Ed at underscore Wassel. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see we've got our handles on there now. Real fun. Um, continue listening to the show. Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts. Um, we recently jumped in the top 250 in all of baseball podcasts for Apple. I don't know how that happened, but that's kind of crazy <laughs> for me. <laughs> Um, so thank you very much for listening. I'm sure it's all bolstered by the top 30 super long episodes with Craig, but, um, appreciate it. Subscribe to get notified when we drop our new episodes, like give it a rating. If it's positive, at least, um, we appreciate it. Um, and thank you again for listening to this episode. We'll be back next week, hopefully with someone with Greensboro, still working on getting a guest for that. And from all of us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast, thank you for joining us and let's go, Bucks. Let's go, Bucks.